good friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning. It's a uh... It is a beautiful, beautiful day. I just uh, I'm looking at. It. I should be looking outside, but I'm looking at a friend. Uh, friends of mine from British Columbia sent me uh, umpteen photos. They uh, drove up into the Yukon, so they're showing all these pictures of glaciers and uh, caribou and grizzly bears and all these wonderful, wonderful things that they saw, uh, a lot of it from the car. So they were up in Dawson Creek and driving the uh, the Alaska Highway and everything. So it's nice of them to, uh, to share that with me. It's just, uh, man, what a beautiful world it is. You know, every day comes in bits and pieces like this. You know, you don't plan on things like this. And you try to hoard time, or at least I do. And staying close to where I am is soothing. I was uh, taking the mail down, as I do pretty much every morning, except Sunday morning. I don't seem to do that. I don't know. The mail never seems to go anywhere on Sundays. Uh, <laughs> geese flew overhead in a kind of a ragged V. It wasn't, um, oh, you know, they didn't use a protractor or a ruler or definitely not a T-square to get those Vs right. And I just, uh, uh, I watch them, and I, I wish the change of seasons didn't happen so quickly. I, I wish I had more more time to enjoy the fall. It just shoots by, it seems. Uh, it was nice today. Early, there was a little bit of chill in the air because I saw the mosquitoes had started wearing jackets. And I watched a pileated woodpecker. It, if you watch them, I hope you all get to see one today. They fly as though they're swimming through the air. And I have a flock of robins here. They're feeding on the fruit of a hawthorn tree, which is a small tree native to Minnesota that has these long and stout thorns. And I've heard its red berries referred to as haws or thorn apples. And the American robin's scientific name is Turtus migratorius. And I once called a friend named Robin uh, Turtus. Uh, didn't go over as well as I'd hoped. Uh, northern flickers are feeding on earthbound ants here. Baltimore Orioles had disappeared for a few days, but they kept this old bird herder uh, company until October 1st is when I saw the last one. The last hummingbird in my yard was September 25th. It, the purple finches showed up a little bit early this year. I'm sure their appearance isn't meant to indicate a harsh winter because well, all our winters are harsh. Uh, native sparrows have migrated in, white-throated sparrows, dark-eyed juncos, Lincoln sparrows, and they were mere scraps of songs, but white-throated sparrows whistled while I worked, and that was a fine thing. I saw a monarch butterfly, and I'm going to forget the exact day, in the last few days. Uh, some, according to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, some make a 3,000-mile journey to the Sierra Madre Mountains in Mexico. And monarchs have a life cycle that includes four generations each year. The fourth-generation monarchs are the ones that fly south. Uh, the right amount of rain and sunshine allows trees to produce sugar, which leads to scads of red leaves. Albert Camus wrote, Autumn is a second spring when every leaf is a flower. Uh, wind and rain could bring them all down in a huge leaf drop. Uh, we got a bunch from the last, most recent wind here. Uh, but I was out looking for the reddest leaf. Uh, boy, there's a lot of uh, contenders this year.
the frost was hard on the plants. The flowers aren't doing very well, so I've got some hooked up to an ivy, uh, <laughs> IVY. Uh, I cut down some buckthorn. It's a hardy deciduous shrub or small tree that keeps its leaves well in the winter. And there was a couple fellas, or um, maybe ladies, I'm not sure, Reichard and Campbell were their names. Uh, back in 1996, they did a study on uh, woody plants, and they documented that 85% of the invasive woody plants in the United States were originally introduced as ornamental plants, and that an additional 14% were introduced as agricultural plants. In general, why that's a problem, well, there's many reasons, but in general, native plants sustain other life forms more effectively than do the non-native plants. Uh, Gary Seth, lessons from California, said, what's the opposite of a stink bug? We were talking about stink bugs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, I don't know these because I never know them. It's, <clears throat> it's a deodorant. <laughs> I had to clear my throat a little before saying that one. That sounds like a John joke. <laughs> it is. You just give people time. To, oh. And he also, uh, that wasn't enough. Gary had to throw in another one. He said, what do you call a dead stink bug? Oh, no. An extinct. Oh, yeah, gee. An extinct bug. <laughs> wow. Erwin yeah. uh, Hill of Albert Lee sent me a photo of a pileated woodpecker at his suet feeder, and he said, aren't they a bit rare around these parts? And... Uh, they seem to be coming less so, or when I think they're getting more used to us, or we have just uh, moved into where they are so much, because we like treed areas, and I think they've just got a little bit used to us, and boy, can they make suet fly. I watch them in the yard when they come in, and the suet, uh, I'm happy to see them, and then I look out, and the suet's pretty much gone. It's just uh, incredible. I think, boy, that suet should last, you know. <laughs> A few days, and it doesn't. You mentioned seeing the butterflies. Uh, the ones sure. we see now, will they make it down to Mexico, or is it too late for them? I always I always think about that, like even hummingbirds or something going through now. Are their chances reduced because it's getting colder, or what What can we, I guess, is there a way to predict if, if they're going to make it? Because I always hope they do, of course. Yeah, and I do, too. I keep my fingers crossed every time, and I, I wish them traveling mercies. <clears throat> But, uh, you know, their chances are certainly lessened this time of year. They're, they're ch- the chance that they'll hit good weather all the way down there mm-hmm. is not so likely anymore. You know, it's just a pretty good shot they're going to hit some bad weather. And when they hit bad weather, bad things happen to them. They, they can't fly or they're damaged. So, sure. yeah, these guys, but, uh, you know, you never say never. So I, I hope some of them make it. But with each passing day, their chances of making it to the Sierra Madres in Mexico are certainly less, sadly. Oh. Uh, Linda Bourne of Wasika saw a dark-eyed junco on her patio on September 30th. Uh, yeah, it's uh, my dad always said six weeks we'd have trackable snow. Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. I think it only works in your yard. If you see that bird in your yard, that's where the six weeks are. Nobody oh, else can okay. count that one. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. At least that's what my dad told me. Uh, Kimberly Emerson. Kimberly is from Wyndham. She said, I found the first county record. 
And it's, uh, I have heard this pronounced so many, I, it's S-A-B-I-N-E, gull. And I, when I was a kid, because I learned so many things by reading, and the thing by reading, you don't always learn how to pronounce things correctly, because mm-hmm. you kind of throw your own pronunciation in there. And I'd heard once about Sabine's River in Texas. So I figured it was spelled the same way. These would be Sabine's gulls. And I hear that a lot. I hear Sabine's gulls. But I read something about the guy who they were named after, and his was Sabin. So Sabin's gulls, I guess, is the correct way. But I think no matter what way you say it, it was pretty cool. Uh, Kimberly found it on South Walnut Lake in Faribault County with John Hakama. The two of them saw it. Uh, Jeannie Mortensen of Faribault has an injured Canada goose. So I uh, told her about the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center, and she was getting a hold of them. So uh, the good folks up there in Roseville do wonderful things. And, and we have so many great listeners who are more than willing to to hike up there or cart a bird or animal up there because they don't just do birds they do animals also um, oh, deserted uh, young ones i ended up uh, gail and i ended up with six squirrels here because a guy cut down a tree and he didn't know there was a squirrel nest in there so then he found the baby squirrels and he took them up there well, would and, they not uh, make it otherwise i mean would they have to couldn't they find or they, them find a new place or or not they waited a while because otherwise the mother squirrel would generally come in and carry them mm-hmm. to another nest. Sure. But that did not happen. Oh, so okay. uh, who knows what, you know, we see a lot of squirrels run over on roads and things. So, And red-tailed hawks will certainly take a squirrel out to lunch. So something like that could have happened to the squirrel. So whatever it was, this good fella from New Richland ran him up to uh, the Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. And like a boomerang, they came back here to the beautiful greater Heartland area. So uh, I'd like to say that's a step up from the rural New Richland (laughs) area, but I don't dare say that because my my wife is from there originally. So, yeah. Uh, Ruth Searle of Woodbury said, I saw my first Junko of the fall on Friday. I thought it was a little early, but I've seen more since then. Happy winter. Oh, Ruth. Um, TJ, Tom Jessen of Medelia said, here's an odd one for you, Al. If all cowbirds are raised by other species, how are they all able to communicate with each other after leaving the host nest and joining the flock? And TJ adds, snakes will be moving to hibernation dens this week. So tell your listeners to please watch for them on the roads and trails. Yes, please do. So where do they go? Uh, I want to know where where do they go from and where do they go to? The snakes? Yeah. Uh, And boy, they go from wherever they are into, oh, maybe a pile of rocks, uh, a pile of wood, a hole in the ground, uh, many, many different places that they can find a den up. And as they are generalists as far as habitat, so they could be pretty much anywhere. Uh, I know they like water, and uh, I remember as a kid going down and surprising one, and boy, go in the water, and they're really excellent swimmers. Uh, they're limited on the number of uh, swimming things they can do, the dog paddle, and some of those things are out, but they're really great swimmers. Hmm. So they will find these wonderful hibernation dens, and I believe some of those dens have probably 
hosted snakes for many, many years. So it's kind of traditional in some cases, but those things come to an end, so they find a new one. So uh, I like seeing them, especially the garter snake is the one that most people are most common with. And that's the one I'm referring to that are such good swimmers, but I think most snakes are pretty good swimmers. But to TJ's question about cowbirds, they are, as most of you probably know, they're brood parasites, meaning they ditch their eggs in other species' nests and allow the foster parents to do the tough work of chick rearing, which is, it's hard work, man, it's constant. Uh, Baby cowbirds grow up with families that don't look like them, they don't act like them, sometimes even in habitats, which they don't normally live. So it's a question that TJ asks that behavioral scientists are still working out. There's some disagreement, a lot of speculation. It seems that cowbirds learn to recognize each other both through sound and sight, and by comparing the outside world to themselves. And some scientists believe that adult cowbirds maintain contact with their offspring, which is how the chicks learn the ways of the cowbird. And the behavior of sticking around after laying eggs and monitoring their progress is likely a recent development for cowbirds because in the old days they were supposedly following cow herds and buffalo herds around. But in response to hearing the begging cries of a baby cowbird, the female responds not by feeding it, but by calling to it. So then when a young cowbird reaches a certain age, it begins to do visits to adult cowbirds, like uh, overnight visits, and then goes back and gets fed by its foster parents. So it's it's an amazing story, it just uh, how they've worked all that out. Uh, who knows how they did it? Uh, Rick Mammo of Albert Lee said, Al, we haven't seen any hummingbirds for nine days. I've left our feeders up in case any of them may be late, as I tend to be for things. This, incidentally, should suggest that even I wouldn't be any later than this. Should I leave them up for a few days longer since there may be very few that are lagging far behind others and may need some more refreshment, or should I take them down and stash them away until next spring? What sayest thou, old bird man of great notoriety? Uh, Rick, um, it, it depends on how much, uh, you know, guilt you can take. Uh, I keep mine up for 7 to 10 days in case there are any stragglers, so I think you're good to take it down, but I understand if you want to keep it up. And uh, I just hope a late hummingbird doesn't surprise you by showing up right where the hummingbird feeder had been. So I'm, I'm, I hope that's been some help. Uh, Dennis Anderson of Heartland asks, when do the pelicans leave? The fall migration for American white pelicans in Minnesota is late August to uh, mid-November as lakes and rivers freeze. And I always see them in November. And they winter along the Gulf Coast from Florida to Mexico. So uh, they've got a long, long ways to go. But, boy, when we're up here... uh, struggling through the winter. They're down there enjoying themselves, eating fresh fish. Uh, Verna Erickson Hoppy wrote, we have lots of blue jays. I noticed they eat black oilers whole. They don't crack them. Is this okay? What happens to a stomach full of whole seeds? Yeah, you think about that. I don't know what happened to us if we ate 
Oh, a whole bag. I read a story about some guy having all kinds of uh, medical problems. He had other ones, but uh, one doctor said he thought he ate too much black licorice, and that's what did him in. <laughs> well, you, odd, but when I was in second grade, I'll never forget. I uh, was eating. They used to have those stewed plums. You know, they were big fat things, and and they had the big pit in the center. And I so I had the stewed plum thing, and then I swallowed the pit by accident. And I remember bursting into tears and running to my second grade teacher and saying, "Miss Mahoney, I, Mrs. Mahoney, I swallowed the the." Uh, the seed, the seed, um, and I was worried about, you know, something growing in my stomach, of course, and she just laughed, and the other teachers around her laughed, and they, she says, don't worry, it'll come out the other end, so. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that was a, a very stark memory that I had, because it was so traumatic as a second grader. And those plums, we had them, too, they must have been cheap. Yes. <laughs> I think all the schools had them, and, of course, they were always looking for the best food at the most reasonable cost, and I think some of the stuff probably came at no cost. And they, But, yeah, they were, I liked them. I thought they were good. <clears throat> but I can't remember the last time I've ever had them, I I've, guess, so I must not lo- like I've, them enough to order them or anything. I've never seen them since. I mean, a stewed plum, I've never seen them since. But, yeah, back in school they were a, a really big deal, so apparently uh, maybe it's an old way of preserving plums or cooking plums, I guess. I remember going down my grandma's, uh, oh, they called it a basement, but it wasn't a basement. It was a cellar. <laughs> you had to go outside and open those two big doors and flop them open and then walk down in there. And there'd be just shelves of things in cans and bottles. And you'd see uh, oh, canned chicken and all these kinds of things in there. And I know she always had plums of some kind down in there because they grew on the farm. So she was always picking them. They'd be a little different plum, but well, Verna asks, "How is that good for them to store all those seeds down in there? Doesn't it kind of gum up the guts?" But <laughs> a blue jay stores a sunflower seed in its throat and upper oh. esophagus, and it's an area called the gular pouch. G U L A R. And then it transports them in this distended throat and anterior esophagus to a secure spot where it costs them up to eat or maybe cash to eat later. So it's, uh, they are, uh, they're just really, they're, they're so cool, blue jays. I just, I got a whole herd of them in here, and I, the flock doesn't cover it. There's a herd <laughs> a of herd? them. They're just moving around, yeah. Wow. And I don't know where they came from, but, boy, they all fly in. I had eight of them at the bird water all at once just uh, all around it. Seven are watching one take a bath. I I don't know what that says about blue jays, (laughs) but they're they're easily entertained. And they make the oddest sounds. And I'm hearing, I've heard them make a red-tailed hawk, red-shouldered hawk. I have a broad-winged hawk. I've heard those three calls. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised to hear a cooper's hawk. And why do they do that? there's, there are theories. When there are no theories, there are theories as to why there are no theories. Uh, one theory is about jays impersonating hawks as they're trying to warn other birds of a hawk's presence. That seems like that'd be too nice. Another theory suggests jays strive to dupe other birds into thinking that a hawk is close, perhaps so the jays could 
gain unbothered access to a feeder. Scare the other birds away from the feeder. That seems like that might be up Jay's alley. But yet another possible explanation is that jays merely mimic the sounds they hear. And I sometimes wonder if that isn't uh, the the answer to that. Uh, Marion Ball of Faribault sent me a video of the hummingbirds, and I did not jot down where it came from, but it was wonderful. And thank you uh, very much, Marion. And I will put in a plug for a PBS one if you can... If you can find it on PBS, and it's about hummingbirds, it's incredible. They do a lot of slow-motion uh, camera work on that, showing how birds, the hummingbirds, can move and twist in the air. It is. It's amazing how good. It, it's just this photography and camera work that just uh, it stuns me each time I see it, and I've watched a number of times. Uh, somebody just... Texted said, how often are cougars seen in Minnesota? I know I checked the DNR site. This was, who knows how long ago. It was quite a while ago. And I believe it was from 2004 to 2018, the Minnesota DNR. And they said 31 confirmed sightings from 2004 2018. But I know there's been other mountain lions that have been verified since then. So uh, quite a few. Uh, I know people ask if they're breeding here, and I think the DNR is still maintaining that there is no evidence of any breeding activity in the state. So they're, uh, it'd be, I, I'd kind of like to see one. You know, I'd maybe see it at your place, Karen, not not right here in my yard, but I'd like to see one, just to, just to see one in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Just It'd be one of those stories. You'd say, oh, I remember the time I was walking around my Karen's, and there was a cougar right there, a big mountain lion, and, oh, that'd be a good story. So now, they're also we, called uh, pumas and mountain lions. They have all sorts of names. Correct. They certainly do, yes. Yeah, they have uh, more names than they need. And I think usually they say the ones that are coming through here are maybe coming from the Dakotas and their young males that are just uh, going for a walkabout, uh, wandering around trying to find their place in the world, as we all do. Well, And that sometimes it, gets them in trouble. Is it because they're getting, like a lot of other animals, they're getting kind of pushed out because of the suburbs and things, so they're just looking for... A new place to be, essentially, and also by older males. Oh, okay. Older and bigger and stronger males saying, "You know what? Uh, you, you, you might be my son. I just don't want you here anymore. <laughs> Get <So>. out." <laughs> that, yeah, that kind of deal. It's like my dad when I graduated from high school. He, he gave me a gift. It was a used suitcase. Really? So it was. Yep. Oh wow! It was. Uh, a hint uh, the, without words, just uh, here, here you go. And it was in fine shape, and I did use it. I used it for a long time, and it was a good gift. And I was going off to college anyway, oh, so okay. he knew. But I, I think there was a little hint there, too. You know, don't don't forget to write, that kind of thing. So you get that certain age of uh, a young male. You don't always want him living in the basement for the the rest of his life you know it's it's not meant to be always and and i i know some of you have done that and more power to you and some of you are probably just a 
a lot better behaved than I was. So it was just, it was good that I, I hit the road at that age and went off to explore the world. And what a wonderful world it, it is. So, Al, it's a, I was going to yeah. ask if we're going to be seeing any big migrations now. This week's going to be pretty warm. Uh, are a lot of things going to we're going to be seeing in the sky now going south, or do they usually wait till it gets a cold day, or, or what are we going to expect? Yeah, we'll certainly be seeing that. A lot of migration of the waterfowl happens at night. Oh, so that's we, why uh, we didn't see We it. might hear them instead of seeing them. Uh, the pelicans will be moving. The blue jays, a lot of those are moving. We'll see uh, turkey vultures, um, broadwing hawks. We were seeing them a little bit earlier. Uh, I see a lot of yellow rump warblers here in the yard. Uh, the sparrows again, the native sparrows, and I know we think of sparrows, we think of house sparrows, which aren't really truly a sparrow. They're a, but a lot of their weaver finches, a lot of of native sparrows, and again that'd be the white throated and maybe white crowned in some areas, Harris's. Um, Lincoln sparrows and juncos. Everybody will be seeing juncos, and they are a sparrow. And they're the ones that a lot of people will call a snowbird. Oh. I've even heard uh, somebody call them a snow sparrow. And Ann Murray sang about uh, snowbird. little snowbirds. Yes. Yeah. And I don't know if she was singing about juncos or if she was singing about snow bundings, but I know she sang, you know, take the snow back from where where you where yes. you found it pretty much as you sing it to them, and I, no snowbird has ever done that as far as I know. They haven't taken her advice, but I don't know which one she was singing about because uh, she was from Canada, so it, it well could have been snow buntings. When I was a kid, I considered them snowflakes. We had snowbirds and snowflakes. Snowbirds were juncos, snowflakes. That was the snow buntings. Uh, beautiful whitish birds that we see along the road and um, I used to say boy you never see them at feeders but I have seen quite a few photos through the years of people with snow buntings feeding on the ground under feeders so I would certainly consider that being at the feeders so we'll be seeing a lot of that happening up at uh, Hawk Ridge now in October, you'll see some of the bigger birds, red-tailed hawks, uh, rough-legged hawks, bald eagles, golden eagles, uh, turkey vultures. Uh, they're probably about done now. They're kind of the end of September, first part of October, early October, when they migrate up there. So we'll see a lot of oh, northern goshawks. We'll see a lot of the big birds will be coming through up at Hawk Ridge. And, uh, folks, if you're in Duluth, um, just make a visit up there to Hawk Ridge, and especially if there's uh, the winds are from the right direction, maybe westerly winds, and it's it's a pretty cool place to be. And if the weather behaves, you'll see all kinds of wonderful, wonderful uh, birds up there. I was working up there one year, and it rained the whole time. It just poured. I think we saw, my story varies a little bit. There was either three <laughs> or four birds. And there are busloads of people. And they're all standing out there in this pouring rain. And you could see them, they kind of dribble off little by little, just saying, I am freezing to death. I'm soaked. I'm going home. And a bald eagle came in. The weather was so bad, the few birds we did see were really low down where we were. 
And a bald eagle came in, and I got a standing ovation from people. So, um, yeah, it turned out to being a fun day, even though it took me like four days to dry off and stop shivering and my (laughs) teeth to quit chattering. But I hope everybody has a, a wonderful, wonderful day. I was in a supermarket checkout line the other day. And while I'm waiting, you know, they got those things you stand on now, so you're six feet away from the mm-hmm. one ahead of you. And then you got to wait while they spray it down a little bit. So you're standing there, and I'm, I'm waiting. And I spotted a penny on the floor. And uh, that was, it's like finding a coin behind a sofa cushion. Free money. Right. I tried to ignore it, but I, I had to pick it up. <laughs> it's difficult to overcome a habit that's lasted a lifetime. And I offered to split it with a cashier. I thought that's only fair. But she insisted I keep the whole thing. She was just so nice. And I had a profitable day until paying for my groceries. Uh And then I seemed to have gone in the hole. But I was thinking, I have a friend, uh, call him Penny Less, who's fond of saying this about anyone involved in the federal government. He, uh, he just he says they're living on my dime, and I've heard that all my life. Penny Less has hopes of becoming rich by winning a lottery. He never was good at math, but he showed me an article from 24 backslash 7 Wall Street saying that the top 1% of Iowans earn at least $402,246. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. With an average income of $978,158. But the top 1% of Minnesota earners, I know it's always tough giving figures on the radio, but top 1% of Minnesota earners make at least $522,444 with an average income of $1,399,460. Whoa. Uh, I'm going to need to pick up a lot of pennies, so look <laughs> out. Um, remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past. Uh, thanks for listening. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. And thank you, Karen, as always, for your good company. You know what? Everybody be well and be happy. I just hope this, uh, this it'll all pass. So now I'm going to take us out with a song called Snowbird that we were just talking about. Now, it was written by Canadian songwriter Gene McClellan. Uh, It's been recorded by a lot of folks, and most notably, of course, you mentioned Anne Murray. It became a hit for her, and I believe it was 1969. So here is the version of Snowbird. We're going to take us on out with uh, Gene McClellan. Have a great day, Al. Thanks, Karen. Bye. Bye. Beneath its snowy mantle, cold and clean The unborn grass lies waiting for its coat to turn to green The snowbird sings the song he always sings That speaks to me of flowers that will bloom again in spring When I was young, my heart was young then too Anything that it would tell me, that's the thing that I would do But now I feel such emptiness within Oh, the thing that I want most in life's the thing that I can't win Spread your tiny wings and fly away And take the snow back with you where it came from all that day 